Welcome to episode 123 of the Various and Sundry podcast. I am your host, Matt Harmon, joined live from the Vault Studio on the beautiful campus of Grace College and Theological Seminary by my good friend, my colleague, my co-host, and the man who is finally in summer mode, John Scott Sloat. We're easing into summer mode here. Well, you're dressed yeah, I, I, I did. I, I wore a t-shirt today. <laughs> Jeans. Yeah. Yes, it's very casual. Yeah. Um, well, and I mean, the dean's gone. The, so. Yeah, the boss is out of town. That's the other thing that helps uh, with uh, yeah, with casual for sure. attire. For, for sure. Yeah. So anyway, what's going on? Well, this last weekend was Mother's Day, so mm-hmm. had a nice little celebration there. The weather finally seems to be turning. Like, yep. I. I I was talking with somebody else about this that part of the beauty of Indiana is you get, you know, two months essentially of rainy, cloudy-ish and and wet and like 45 to 50 degrees. You get that for like six to eight weeks. Mm -hmm. And then there's the jump to, okay, summer's here. Now we're going to be like upper 70s, low 80s. That, that's from here on out. Yeah. And we get that for a good bit also. Yes. Yeah. And then yeah. July comes and it just gets really hot. Unbearable at times, yeah. but hey. Um, so, yeah. Uh, I feel like we need to get a check-in on the grass. I mean, what are we doing? Mm, yeah. How's it coming along? So I was out of town last week, so I wasn't able to mow last weekend. Okay. But was able to mow the weekend before that. Uh, was able to mow this weekend. It was probably, and I'm a little ashamed to say this, probably – Eight to ten inches long, <laughs> like it grew. Like I was out mowing yesterday. And Did you have it, to mow it twice? Nope, just once. Okay, it was long, and I felt bad about it, but it also was growing like gangbusters out yeah. there. You know, it was it was taken off. It looks mm-hmm. great. It looks it looks really nice. I got a new edger yeah. this year, and that's really stepping up the game uh, along the along the sidewalks and. And so, where would you rank your lawn? Within your immediate little subdivision, like your street there. So I'm are, st- I'm are st- you like top 10 percent? Are you top 50 percent? I think top half now. OK. But it's still like – I still have a young, uh-huh. a young lawn. You know, it still needs to be cultivated. So now is the time to buy stock in your, in your lawn because give it a couple of years and you're going to be top 10. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a rising star for sure. <laughs> OK. For sure. Yeah, well, you know. Now's your chance to buy stock in John's lawn. He will he will gladly take the uh, the capital infusion to. Uh, That's right. I don't know how it pays dividends, but just being a part of something bigger than yourself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, but it looks uh, it looks great right now. Okay, good. So I put down some. I got clovers everywhere, so I put down some clover killer yesterday. Mm, gotta kill it, and uh, and some it had some fertilizer built into it all as well. So okay. hopefully it it. Springs springs up here soon. Okay, nice. Yeah, that's that's good. So, if you would like to contact the show, you can find us on Twitter at VNS Pod. Email the show various and sundry podcast at gmail dot com. We are on Facebook. We are on YouTube, and we would be especially grateful if you would, on whatever platform you access the show, leave us a five star rating and a review. So let's jump right into sports here, John. Um, NBA playoffs. I don't know if you caught any of that this past weekend. Uh, no, I saw some weirdness with Ja Morant's knee. 
like there was a loose ball and somebody grabbed his knee at mm-hmm. some point? Yeah, it feels like there's been a lot, uh, a lot of sort of like questionable, dirty kind of fouls slash plays uh, in the playoffs. Now, again, as someone who cut their teeth on NBA basketball in the 80s, Mm-hmm. Like this is nothing. Like, <laughs> but by today's standards, uh, a little, little, little questionable at points for sure. But um, yeah, so as it stands now, we're recording on a Monday, so this episode drops on a Tuesday. There'll be a couple more games in here, but Bucks lead the Celtics two games to one. Sixers and Heat are tied at two games apiece. Golden State leads Memphis two games to one, and the Mavs and the Suns tied at two games. Apiece. That's four good series. Yeah, yeah, and, and and honestly, I, I don't have a strong rooting interest in mm-hmm. any of these. I just want I just want good basketball. Yeah, so I'm I'm interested. And then, uh, did you see, uh, see on the way in this morning they announced uh, Jokic won the uh, MVP? Oh no, I didn't see that. Yeah, okay. Much to my oldest son's uh, uh, despair, he's a hater of 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 Jokic. Really? Why? Yes. He Why? just doesn't like him. I, I mean, he's kind of a he's kind of a boring player, right? I mean, that's my that's my understanding of Joe. He's not flashy, if that's what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, hugely productive, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but he he's he's also a guy who's not like he he doesn't he he doesn't impress you with his athleticism or anything like that. He's just a really really good player all across the board in terms of scoring assists. You know, he's a big man. He's what six eleven, seven foot somewhere in there. Playing center. Basically, but almost playing like a point center. Okay. Where brings the ball up a lot, has the ball in his hands a lot, but distributes, shares, all that kind of stuff. So, does he shoot? Does he shoot? I, I, I think I can say I've never seen him play. Does Does he shoot threes? Yep. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, um, my other son, my younger son, though, is is a big Jokic fan, mm. so he will be pleased to to see that. Uh, let's see. Anything else going on? Um, I think that's it in terms of NBA. Uh, baseball. Are, have the Mets continued their streak of winning series? Yeah, we're the first to – well, so they split a four-game series with the Braves. Okay. So they didn't win that one, but they also didn't lose it. Right. And they just won against the Phillies. So that's um, seven of eight, I think, or eight of nine, some, something like that to start the season. So, okay. So we haven't lost a series yet. And we're the first team to 20 wins. There you go. As of, as of yesterday. And – we had a great game. Goodness, when was that? I think it was Wednesday night, maybe Thursday night. It was Thursday night where the Mets were down like 7-1. to one. And I was watching. They weren't getting any hits. It was mm-hmm. terrible. I uh, said, I'm turning this off in the eighth inning. And, and I crawled into bed. And I was kind of waiting for like the, you know, I get a little notification anytime a, a game ends. Yeah. And it wasn't coming. <laughs> and so I was like, I better check the score. And they had scored two runs already mm-hmm. in the ninth. And so I just flipped it on just to see uh, everything everything happen. And they, they came back and scored seven runs in the ninth inning uh, to to win the game. Nice. Uh, so, it, I mean, it was, it was an impressive victory. And uh, they were – Oh, in 330 games in which they trailed by more than six runs. Like at any point, not just going into the ninth, but like at any point or? At any point. Okay. And so, uh, yeah, they had not won a game like that since 1997. Okay. Wow. 
That's a long stretch. I was nine. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, pretty pretty cool. It, it was a great win. You should you should go watch the highlights from Thursday. It was it was wonderful. All right. And then this weekend in a sporting event that means essentially nothing to me, uh, the Kentucky Derby was held. Yes, I can't remember the horse that won, but if you watch the video with like the little pointers of where he is, mm-hmm. he's like third or fourth to last. Yeah, and in, gets all the way to the front and wins it uh, by by like a nose. And by, he was a significant long shot, correct? Eighty to one. Okay, were the betting odds. Yeah, it, if you're into that sort of thing, yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> horse racing they do publish the betting odds. Yeah, sure. Uh, pr- yeah. Pretty yeah. widely. So, and that that was the headline: eighty to one. You know, wins okay. the. Wins the Kentucky Derby. Okay, I, I don't think uh, unless you either really follow horse racing, or which is a small, yeah, it's a pretty small, small it's a niche market. It's a pretty wealthy market as well. Uh, absolutely. Uh, or unless you live in like Louisville, or maybe like extend that out into broader parts sure. of Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just don't. It, it doesn't really land on my radar. But you got to experience it living there in Louisville for a year yeah. as to how big of a deal this is in that It's in that massive. City. Yeah. It's massive. Yeah. It's it's not a Saturday event. It's, it's a, a weekend. It's a week-long event. <laughs> okay. So okay. like um, they will – I think on like Wednesday or Thursday, they will only run horses that are bred in Kentucky. OK. So I can't remember what it's called. But they, but they only run those horses – uh, I know at the place I worked, they would have, oh, draw a horse's name. If your horse wins the race, you get – you know, they have all these things. Everybody goes to a Kentucky Derby party. Yeah. Uh, you wear the big hats. You know, <laughs> not me, the women, <laughs> right? right? They, wear, they wear the big hats. <laughs> right. There's a thing called Derby Pie. I have no idea what this is. It's pecan pie with lots of chocolate in it. OK. Google it. Uh, g- <laughs> make yourself a, a Derby Pie. OK. Um so it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty intense little little week there, and everybody yeah. goes to a party to watch like this six minute horse race. You know, you know, it's uh, not even that long. I don't I, think it's that long. I, yeah, it, but that's with coverage. Okay. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but it's it's just really it's really big there. So on Thursday evening, they have the largest fireworks show in North America. Called Thunder over Louisville, and there's like a there's like a symphony that plays, and then mm-hmm. they set off fireworks uh, in the Ohio River there, uh, and it's it's the largest in North America. Wow, um, I think the largest in the world is Chinese New Year. Did it live up to its billing when you were there? So when I went there, I went with a group of people. We went across the river uh, into Indiana, mm-hmm. and we're going to watch it from over there. But we went to somebody's house for a barbecue because uh, they they do that right and. They were like, oh, yeah, we won't be able to see them here. But if you drive down here. So we were in like New Albany, Indiana, yeah. driving around. And we found a parking lot where we thought we'd be able to see them. And we pulled into this parking lot, got out of the car. We're watching the fireworks. All of a sudden, a homeless guy stands up and starts peeing against the wall <laughs> in front of us. And it was just it was just like, what on earth is going on? You know, the, yeah. this this guy's peeing against the wall. This fireworks show's going off. I would like to go and get be like in in Kentucky with the proper viewing experience. Yeah, but it was also during the time Louisville also had this thing when I was living there. Oh my goodness, uh, where these roaming groups of teenagers were attacking people. 
Do you, do you remember any of this? That, no, but I don't no, know. We that typically it, call those gangs of so, like is is that is that too strong of a term? Like, but it was like. <laughs> But it, it wasn't a gang, though. I, I remember it was like it was, but it was like twelve and thirteen year olds. Okay, just like attacking people, hitting people's cars with bat. I mean, just straight up vandalism and and aggression. Okay, I'm not totally sure over <laughs> what, but but it was like this thing that was happening in Louisville at the time, and everybody's kind of like, you don't want to be at Thunder over Louisville. There's chances there's going to be an attack there. You know, that was that was part okay. of the the conversation. Okay, <laughs> I never told you that story before. No, have I've I? never yeah. heard that story before. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's completely unscripted there. So that that's 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 why we you know, that's why we do the podcast to yeah. provide that kind of entertainment value to our to our listeners. So yeah, but that's 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 Thursday and yeah, the Derby and all all these things. Okay, yeah, okay. So is is Al Mohler checking out the Derby? You think is he like? I have no idea. Okay, contrary to popular opinion, I went to school there. I I did not know Al. He did not know mm. me. Okay, all right. I saw him drive by in a car once. Okay. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing him at an ETS conference where um, he had his little entourage with him of like clearly like seminary age students. Yeah. He has assistants and that sort of stuff. He has interns. Yeah. And I think they get like vouchers for suits that they have to wear. I, I remember seeing him at an ETS and that like little gang, if we use that term, right? Maybe not quite, but yeah. entourage. Okay. I saw him walk into – a a store that was a like nice men's store where you would buy a suit or a tie. So I don't know if he didn't have enough ties and had to buy one. And of course, this whole entourage had to follow him in. I don't know if maybe somebody in his entourage didn't have a tie. And Al was like, we have to fix this right now. I don't know. So, so But it's um, a very Al thing to see him, I think, walking into that kind of place with uh, his entourage. So what well, people don't know – so that school – Read the history of it sometime. It's it's fascinating. When he takes over, is he in? Is he forty yet? When he took oh, over? Oh no, he was like thirty two. Yeah, he was he was young. He became the president there and got got a lot of death threats and mm-hmm. people were uh, uh, threatening violence against him. All these things, and so they have all the security there. Me being a new student on campus, it's a it's a large campus, and I knew I had a had a class in the building that his office was in. Yeah. And so I walked in. I knew my class was on the second floor, and I tried to walk up this staircase. Uh-huh. Security guard stopped me because apparently that's the staircase to his office. Okay. Only people invited to Al's <laughs> office can go up that staircase. And so I had to be sent down the hall to the peasant staircase and go up that staircase. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, it was – it's 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 a whole other culture down there. Yeah, it's it a, it's a It's a whole other world. Yes. Uh, speaking of a whole nother world, we are returning to part two of our topic. We started last week, uh, an article by Jonathan Haidt mm-hmm. entitled Why the Past Ten Years of American Life Have Been Uniquely Stupid. So, Great title. Great title. And um, you're a big fan of Jonathan Haidt, as we mentioned last I like week Haidt. on yep. the pod. Uh, so it would probably be good for us to – to briefly try to capture what we talked about last week, that part of the article, um, or some of the key points from the first ha- half maybe of the article that we tried to hit Well, on. he frames this article around the topic of the Tower of Babel, mm-hmm. uh, that in the Tower of Babel, uh, right, God comes down, confuses the languages of the people uh, and is is basically spreading them around around the earth. And he's saying something similar 
is mm-hmm. happening now that uh, social media, uh, some different things have come along that have caused us uh, that have caused a, a confusion among the people. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, he highlights how initially the arrival of social media was seen as a positive thing for democracy mm-hmm. and uh, sharing of opinions and that sort of thing. And that when uh, when Facebook and Twitter in particular added the like and share and retweet options basically, mm-hmm. that that created and, – and combined that with an algorithm that uh, – would prioritize posts in your feed and that sort of stuff that it created this kind of toxic environment where uh, people what what sort of got clicks, what got attention was uh, passion, anger, emotion, and uh, that that has in turn then led to a uh, a weakening of the sort of societal glue that holds our American democracy together. And he talked about it, it uh, devaluing, I don't know what word he used specifically, but, but tearing down of social, sh- social capital, mm-hmm. institutions. Yeah. You have one other that I'm missing. Uh, oh, stories, shared stories that we all, that we all have an experience. Yes. And so, um, yeah, I think that that set a good stage for our conversation last uh, week. Uh, one quote that maybe captures it, social media unwittingly dissolved the, the mortar of trust, belief in institutions, and shared stories that had held a large and diverse secular democracy together. So that kind of brings us to uh, part two of our discussion today because, again, this is a really long article, really good, enjoyable. Mm-hmm. But uh, – yeah, I want to start with he he highlights the window from 2011 to 2015 as the the transition point um, and highlights and again I'm going to use uh, I'm going to use his terms just to be clear. Uh, so year 2011 that was the Arab Spring year protest and the sort of Occupy Wall Street stuff, mm-hmm. and then 2015. He identifies as on the left, you had what he calls the great awakening, however you want to define that. That's his term, not mine. And on the left, so the great awakening on the left and the rise of Trump on the right. And he stresses that, uh, you know, uh, Trump did not uh, cause. The sort of the, the, his his metaphor of, of the, the Tower of Babel to fall, but he capitalized on its fall. So mm-hmm. he's not the cause of it because by then it's already crumbling. He's just capitalizing on it, and, mm-hmm. and the same is true for the left on the awakening stuff as well. So, um, so uh, do, do you think that's a a fair assessment from 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 your perspective? Um, I mean, I mean, some some of it is just like w- what has happened uh, mm-hmm. to a certain extent. Yes, I think in the narrative of his story, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. I, I'd be interested to see somebody come along and push back on him a little bit. I don't think I'm the person to do that, <laughs> um, but I'd love to s- somebody to challenge the narrative that he's crafting here sure. a little bit, just just to see what it's like. Um, I resonate with a lot of things that Jonathan Haidt says here. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but would be interested in hearing hearing somebody's pushback. Yeah. One interesting point that he makes is that social media has brought accountability. And there's a sense in which that's true. Like when someone says or does something, there's almost always a response sure. on social media. So at one level, you think, oh, well, that's a that's a potentially very good thing that uh, it's harder to get away with, with, with doing something or saying something ridiculous or stupid or immoral or wrong or whatever. But he points out that social media has actually um, warped the idea of accountability mm -hmm. in three specific ways. One, it gives more power uh, to trolls while silencing good citizens. That, that's absolutely true. Yes. Number yes. two, that it gives voice to the political extremes while reducing the power of the moderate majority. Mm -hmm. Also true. Uh, very true. Especially, yes. Again, especially Twitter. I think Twitter's especially in view mm -hmm. here. The, the same happens on Facebook. Same happens on Facebook. Yep. And then number three, everyone can administer justice of some kind, condemnation, you know, canceling, whatever, uh, without due process. Yeah. And so it encourages swift, immediate, that's it, you're done mm -hmm. kind of responses. Um, does that does that resonate with what you see on social media? These three sort of warping, uh, warped features of accountability? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, um, I, yeah, there's a lot of research out about Twitter right now uh, that is – that Twitter in particular is uh, something like I think – Seven or eight percent of Americans use Twitter. And that might even be generous. I yeah, think. and and five percent of those do ninety percent of the tweeting. Yeah, uh, and most of them are on the extreme left. Yeah, um, you know, you know. So I I think anytime you're segmenting the demographics to that level, I think you're you're going to get some some fairly warped. Uh, uh, if if that's a system of accountability, that that's right. fairly warped. And you're also going to get a. Um, a warped perception of the number of people who hold that, that view. Yep. And that works on both left and right, by the way. Mm -hmm. It's not just on the left. It works on the right as well, I think, in terms of if your only perception of what Americans think is based on your engagement on Twitter, you're going to think that, you know, what, 40 percent of people are far left crazy progressives and the other – and another 40 percent are far right crazy, you know, QAnon, mm -hmm. uh, conspiracy theorist kind of – and that there's maybe, you know, 20 percent in the middle. Mm -hmm. That's not an accurate representation of the American population by mm -hmm. any stretch, but that's perception. So um, he, he goes on to talk about how – do, How do you fix that? Maybe, maybe, maybe that's a like – you know, we have a new. We're seemingly going to have a new owner of Twitter yeah. uh, here in the next six months. Is there a way to fix that? Is is, is there a is there a way to you know? I, I think those are the things I come out of this asking. Like, my goodness, how do we get more good citizens to to raise their voices? You know, yeah. to to engage. Yeah. Uh, how do we, you know, uh, tamper the political extremes? Is it getting more voices on the platform? Mm -hmm. Is it um, is it reducing? Is it changing the algorithm? Like like yeah. any any sense of like what that would be? Yeah, let's let's table that 
in connection with because he height does at the end of his article give some suggestions. So I think we could use that as a springboard into talking about. Okay. Do you think that works? Do you, what okay. other suggestions do we have? So, all right. All right. Let's I want to table that. Table it. There you go. We will come back to it. Um, he, he goes on in the article to talk about how um, – and this is a bit of a long quote, but I think it, it's helpful. Uh, part of America's greatness in the 20th century came from having developed the most capable, vibrant, and productive network of knowledge-producing institutions in all of human history, linking together the world's best universities, private companies that turned scientific advances into life-changing consumer products – and government agencies that supported scientific research and led the collaboration that put people on the moon. So basically talking about this was sort of the, the larger set of institutions mm -hmm. that helped um, in many ways make America the envy of the world in mm -hmm. the 20th century in terms of those kinds of institutions. Through the collaboration of normally siloed institutions. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But then he follows up with uh, – Participants in our key institutions began self-censoring to an unhealthy degree, holding back critiques of policies and ideas, even those presented in class by their students that they believed to be ill-supported or wrong. That is absolutely true. Mm -hmm. Do you have uh, any examples of that that you could think of? Uh, bro broadly speaking, not asking you to give any personal uh... – <laughs> Well, I mean I think – in general, it has gotten harder and harder to tell a student in class discussion or as they make – ask a question or give an answer to say that's wrong. That's not right. That you have to come up with soft, nuanced, mm -hmm. you know, kind of finessed ways of saying, well, I really don't think that's probably the case. Like I can see how – you know, you kind of have to – I can see how maybe this part of that could be you – know, you have to try to find some way mm -hmm. to salvage because you don't want to embarrass a student or and, – and that um, I think uh, you, you get students who just are not necessarily always capable of hearing, no, that's wrong. And it's not just in the classroom too. I think you, this, this bleeds out into other parts that like – Bible studies, smoking oh, Bible studies. Yeah, I I have <laughs> Sunday I school classes. I actually have an example of that. I I was in a I was reading uh, the Bible with several of our students, and uh, one student gave gave a pretty passionate little mini stump speech about about something, mm -hmm. and, and I can't even remember what. And I, I just remember challenging the idea and being like, I don't think that's necessarily right. Um, and I. Just didn't see that student for like four or five months. Uh -huh. Come to find out, they were very upset that I challenged uh, yeah. their 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 thought. I had no idea. Yes, and we've discussed this on the podcast. It gets into the whole you know safety culture of I don't feel safe, which yeah. sometimes means I'm offended that you won't assent to my ideas or tell me that I'm wrong. I I, I should not be subjected to somebody telling me you're wrong. That's which, not right. Which Jonathan Haidt also has writings about. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So uh, – but I do think that that is absolutely – and, and you, I, I think uh, – I saw an interesting article. Um, somebody – because we're in the, in, the, uh, in the season of leaking things, of course, right? <laughs> that in response to the leak of the Supreme, the Supreme Court 
draft decision that, mm-hmm. that if it's if it becomes finalized would overturn Roe v. Wade. Um, that uh, an internal memo at uh, from a PR firm was leaked that basically is strongly advising companies like Coca Cola and other like big corporate giants, basically saying, stay away from it. Don't comment on that on the issue publicly. Stay away from it because it's going to be bad for business. Which really used to be, honestly, that was that was what all big corporations did. They sure. generally stayed out of big social issues, big political issues. Um, I mean, you're you're too too young to remember this, but you know, Michael Jordan got criticized for not taking political stance, mm-hmm. not using his platform to uh, advance certain political or social issues, and his response was. Republicans buy sneakers too, mm-hmm. and that's his point. It's like I'm not interested in turning away or offending a certain population of people who will buy my product. Yeah, and that used to be kind of the standard approach, but uh, recently that's been less the case as some companies try to jump on board more progressive social positions and wanting to be seen as we're on board with this. And of course, getting pushback from people on the right, mm-hmm. um, and so now you got a PR firm saying it's just better to stay out of it, which I think is probably the best advice anyway. Yes, I think that's probably the best advice. Um, so, uh, Height gives a couple of suggested reforms. Um, he lists three, and then he gives another one. So I'll lump it as four. Here's four suggested reforms. Number one. Uh, change to open primaries that reduce the influence of social media. So basically, it's a political one in terms of um, in doing a system where it's you know you have multiple candidates and then the top two candidates go in a runoff. Like like it's mm-hmm. it, sure maybe uh, that uh, maybe that'll help. I don't know. Uh, number two, nonpartisan groups determining districts. There's the gerrymandering issue, which I think some states have tried that. And met with mixed results, but mm-hmm. in general, I think both of us would probably say that's probably a good idea, right? Yeah, to try I think so. I think so. Yeah. Number three, uh, require user verification on social media platforms. Yeah, and this, I think, this gets into something that we haven't necessarily talked about. He talks a lot in here about uh, artificial intelligence mm-hmm. and how those bots on Twitter have began to impact uh, various. Uh, Discussions uh, mm-hmm. in in America, uh, particularly those out of other countries. Yeah, um, and and so using user auth, uh, verification in order to do that, which is something that I believe Elon Musk has has pushed for. Yes, and I actually think that's a pretty good reform. I, I that, that's probably the one I like the most. Well, yeah. no, I like the fourth one the most because actually. there are ways to um, to basically say like you don't have to violate someone's privacy to do it. Like. Mm-hmm. There, there are ways to verify that a person is an authentic human being, without having to necessarily, um, you know, that you can create a system where you have to authenticate your identity, but you you can still, in one sense, communicate anonymously without having to publicly identify yourself as. Mm-hmm. as so, I think that's a good one. Uh, and then the fourth one: uh, restrict access to those. Uh, over 16, in other words, you have to be 16 or 17, I guess, depending on how you read that. Uh, and then he says, get kids outside playing. 
Yeah, Get them which, off social media. Which which comes from his book, Coddling of the American Mind. Yeah. That's one of the arguments he makes in there that that kids getting outside and playing, you know, it creates negotiation. It creates uh, uh, managing other people, managing your own emotions. You know, you know those yes. sorts of things are really excellent for kids' development. And he thinks social media is uh, breaking some of those things down. And I, I tend to agree with him on that. Yeah. And I think we, we, we all recognize that it it is – much you are much less likely to say certain things or say things certain ways if you're talking with a real live human being in front of you mm-hmm. versus having the a sort of uh, protection of a screen and a keyboard. Yeah, yeah. That you're just less likely to probably put someone on blast if you're in person with them rather than having the sort of shield of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, when you were growing up, were you uh, were you just, was, would your mom just be like, "Get outside and play, go go do something with the neighborhood kids," or were you? Well, I didn't grow up in a neighborhood. I grew up out in the country, so mm-hmm. I didn't have neighborhood kids to hang out with. Okay. So my experience was this was, explains a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it certainly reinforced my introverted tendencies yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, and my only sibling was. Uh, a sister who's eight years younger than me, so mm. you know, didn't have like a a brother who was two years older, two years younger, kind of thing to. to, to but so I, I learned, but but still, that was before, obviously, before, that was even before the internet, like. And so, um, I did have, I did have some video games. I had an Atari, like an original, like Atari twenty six hundred, like old school. Nice, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I played outside a good bit. I you know, I had a basketball court in my driveway and. Lots of hours out hmm. there just shooting hoops, yeah. just enjoying that. So even I, though I didn't have neighborhood kids, there was still a sense like get outside and do I, stuff. I think just about everywhere everywhere we lived before, probably before I was in high school, um, it was we're out playing football, we're out playing baseball, we're out playing street mm-hmm. hockey. You know, you know, yeah. name, name the sport. We, yeah. were, we were playing it in some capacity, yeah. and I just remember doing that a lot. Yeah. Um, I think until high school and then it was – I have a driver's license. I'm going to go do things with my friends elsewhere. Sure. Yeah. Now, during the summers when I uh, – while my parents were working, I would often be at someone else's house being watched or whatever. And so those were in neighborhood contexts where mm-hmm. I would you know, have some of those kind of, hey, the kids in the neighborhood are going down and playing stickball on the street or something or walking over to the playground to, to, to play basketball or play football or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, okay. Now, Jonathan Haidt makes no claim to be a believer. No, I, I think he actually makes the opposite claim. And so, how should we bring a biblical worldview to bear on this issue? Because, because I, I think yeah. both of us look at his critique or his analysis and say we might disagree with points here and there, but like on the whole, we think on the whole this yeah. is right. Like this is a correct analysis of the problem. Um, and, you know, we've kind of said, well, you know, yeah, maybe that would be helpful, you know, restricting age. But, you know, people are still going to – kids are still going to find a way to get on to the social media platforms. Absolutely. Without they're they're going to lie. Kids have been lying about their age for years. Um, I mean, that, yeah, that's – 100 percent. That's a human condition thing. OK. Yeah. So um, from a biblical perspective, a biblical worldview perspective, how, how should we as Christians – Look different, sound different, participate different 
in these realities in, in, in social media? Oh, my goodness. Um, you know, I don't know that I have a great answer off the top of my head. Is there anything what, – what, what comes to mind for you? Well, I mean I think the, the first thing uh, that we might consider is maybe it's better for you to stay off. Like there's no, there's no moral obligation for you to be yeah. on social media. And so if it's bad for your soul, if it entices your, uh, your sinful tendencies, get off. If, if you have a propensity to, to, to like really get wound up yeah. about this stuff, it, yeah. may, it may just be better to, you know, leave, you know, you know gouge, you know, cut out your right eye rather than <laughs> yeah. cut and cast it into hell. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So that's one option. Uh, I do think those platforms can be used for good. Um, I see models of it. And I think, you know, it, th- this can sound so simplistic, right? But how about we start with uh, the great commandments of love God with your whole being mm-hmm. and love your neighbor as yourself, that there are ways to express disagreement without, um, you know, attacking someone as a person. There are ways to do it. And we need, to get, we need to get more comfortable with that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think you know, we were talking about a, a specific situation I won't mention uh, on social media mm-hmm. uh, that there can be this dynamic where – if you attack my guy or say anything critical of me, if it's not an attack, even if it's the most like gracious, like I respect this person, I just disagree with him or her on this particular thing, that even the most gracious and gentle of, of, of sort of critiques are often met even by other Christians as basically – you don't know what you're talking about. How dare you criticize so-and-so? He or she has done all this stuff for the like, – mm-hmm. Does that make them beyond critique? I don't think so. But mm-hmm. you know, we've just lost the ability, I think, in, in many respects as Christians even. Like, well, that's my guy. And it happens across the Christian perspective. So you know, you might think I've got a specific person in mind and maybe for this moment there is a specific person. But it happens – You know, no one's allowed to criticize – Timmy K. No one's allowed to criticize John MacArthur. No one's like you name any sure. big name in evangelicalism. And if you say a critical word about him, there is a group of people who will set you on blast and be like, how dare you? You have no idea. Like, well, can we criticize the or critique at least the the content of what that person's saying? Like mm-hmm. we've lost that ability. We've lost our minds in that way. Like we can't we can't do it. Without it turning into that's my guy, so I got to fight for him. Mm-hmm. It happens across the spectrum. Mm-hmm. So, how about we just stick with love your neighbor as yourself? Would you want to be talked about that way? Would, would you want to be um, rebuked potentially in that manner, or would you rather be rebuked in a more gracious manner? Of I think you're wrong here. You should consider this. So, uh, you know, at, and that can sound super simplistic, but my goodness. <laughs> Well, and I, I think there is a wisdom in m- maybe in the majority, just you know, keeping your mouth shut. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sure, sure. Uh, and just, just. Yeah, but that get, but part of that gets back to the whole what the algorithms encourage you to do. Sure. You have to respond immediately. Like, there's this big issue. This big event happens. You must have a view right now. And if you don't speak out against blank, you're enabling. You're just participating in the perpetuation of whatever just evil thing happened. No, you're not. You're just not required to have a public opinion on things. Yeah. You're just not. <laughs> yeah. So 
Anyway, an excellent article. Well worth your time to read it. And yeah, I mean, we honestly, we could probably do a part three on this, but we won't. We won't. Um, no. Because <laughs> we need to, to move on here to uh, this day in sports history. So it's a little thin today, John. I'm going to be honest. Okay. Uh, 1930, Pat Summerall, uh, American NFL player with the New York Giants and CBS sportscaster, born in Lake City. I know we're reaching already. That I had to go to a birthday to get Pat Summerall? Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. I mean, was he was he still in the booth in your earliest days of watching football? I think earliest, yes. Yes. Who who was he with? Madden. Madden, yes, yeah. yes. I remember uh Summerall and Madden. I mean, Early. Th- there there were times where it felt like I think he's a little buzzed or slightly drunk. Like you, you could pick up on some of the slurred speech. Which and... is very old school sportscaster. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Um, 1937, 27, 37, 73. What I say? You said 37, 1973. Yes. The 27th NBA championship. Uh, the Knicks beat the Lakers four games to one. I threw that in there for you. I appreciate that. Um, that's their last NBA title. Correct. That is their last one. Yeah. So they've not won one in my lifetime because mm-hmm. I was not yet born in 1973. Yeah. I mean, let's, let's remember the nineties or the, the 2000 <laughs> Knicks were, are in that, <laughs> In that time, and it's it was a rough it's it's a rough time yeah uh, since the millennial um, ninety three nineteen ninety three thank you uh, Bill Walton is inducted into the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame. Do you ever catch him doing commentary? You don't watch college basketball. Good. I hear radio interviews with him from time oh, to time. Gosh. He's gosh. he's goofy. Oh, he's beyond goofy. Now, some of that I'm sure is that's his shtick, and he's playing it up. But I think sure. a good bit of that is like legitimately he's that way. Yeah, I, I think he was always kind of a crunchy guy and cr- oh, yeah. kind, of, kind of weird. Yeah, there is no doubt in my mind that he's availing himself to the legality of mm-hmm. marijuana. Oh, yeah. Uh, 2015, uh, PGA Players Championship, TPC Sawgrass, Ricky Fowler wins beating Kevin Kisner and Sergio Garcia by one stroke in a playoff. So what do you want to go with? Oh, my goodness. Um, no, I think we did. Do we do the Knicks? We did the Knicks a couple weeks ago. Yeah. yeah. Who you got? Uh, my goodness. Let's go Pat Summerall. I agree. Yeah. yeah. Why not Pat? Okay. Uh, one thing you liked. Uh, I'm going to go with the Mets come from behind win that I mentioned earlier. <laughs> okay. Uh, it uh, it was beautiful. I watched the very end of it, and I could not sleep for about 30 minutes afterwards. Wow. So You went with that over-graduation. Over-graduation, yeah. I was torn between okay. be- before we began. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, graduation happens every year. Okay. This Mets come from behind <laughs> hasn't happened since 1997. I see. We've had – gosh, we've had so many graduations since then. Yes. We'll have another graduation before this happens again. <laughs> Lord willing, yes, we will. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm going to go with Mother's Day, getting to celebrate my beloved wife and uh, the great mom that she is to our sons. We had uh, both our sons home for that and uh, that was a lot of fun and um, and also got a chance to talk with my mom. So a nice, nice, a nice little Mother's Day. Yeah, for sure. We have talked the Kentucky Derby and John's stories of living in Louisville for a year. You really enjoyed that. I, I can did. tell, but it's I written did. on your face. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, we talked a second time about why the past 10 years of American life have been uniquely stupid. We have talked about Pat Summerall and his uh, sometimes uh, intoxicated participation in broadcasting. Mm-hmm. And we have talked about uh, a Mets victory come from behind, Mother's Day. So I think by definition, we have covered our various and sundry topics. I think so. Yes, I think all that's uh, ready to go mission accomplished. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So all that's left to say is until next time, the Lord bless y'all real good. Later. Later.